0: chapter 10. I think I've told the story before, but I, I came across it this week, and and, um, and I, it, it really, I think, gets us into the passage we're going to look at. There's a Peanuts cartoon years ago where Lucy, you know how Lucy was, she was just always, you know, one of the, well, she'd speak her mind and everything else. Well, she was living at her mother's. The reason she's really angry with her mother is because she says, you promised me a birthday party, she wails. And now you say, I can't have one. It's not fair. So Linus, you know, being ever the appeaser, tries to intervene. And he said, you're not using the right strategy, he counsels. Why not go up to mom and say to her, I'm sorry, dear mother. I admit I've been bad, and you were right to cancel my party, but from now on, I shall try to be good. Well, Lucy, you know, isn't happy with that one. She has a grimace on her face as she thinks the whole thing through, and finally, in the last panel, she cries out, I'd rather die! Uh, You know, that kind of seems to be the attitude of Pharaoh as we get to the end of of chapter 9 in Exodus, because... You know, I'd rather die than let the children of Israel go. Uh, Although he has said numerous times, I'll let them go. He's changed his mind every time. And he is stubborn and rebellious. (laughs) A little bit like Lucy, right? And we find him at the start of this chapter as well, being that stubborn one again. And um, the attitude that he had in chapter 9 was one that actually God supported and aided him in. Believe it or not, in chapter ten. Now, each chapter has given us about nine or ten things to ponder. Now, I know there's repetition. In fact, we're going to repeat a few of the principles that we've already looked at. Eighteen, I believe, thus far, uh, because there are some new things to add to, or at least there's some additional things to add to, and maybe a little bit of changes. But. We've been trying to just give you new truth and, uh, if you would, new points to be learned from the plagues and the lessons. So we're in part three, Exodus chapter 10, and I got 10. I couldn't just narrow it down to nine, sorry. So that means it's going to be 28 and, and counting. Uh, although, again, a few of them are a little bit, or are, are not the same wording. I did not use the same wording, but a few of them will at least uh, kind of point to some of the things we've already looked at tonight. The Bible says this in chapter 10 as the young young men are handing those out. uh, In verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. I kind of wonder what Moses' attitude was here. Let's just a little pause here. You know, I kind of wonder if he was like, Here we go again, you know, or if he was just mighty and powerful and saying, how long will it be before you humble yourself? We're not exactly sure and we're not told, but uh, you got to think, man, how many times is he going to do the very same thing? Let's go on. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast and they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field, and they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh, Again, I pause. First time, he didn't give Pharaoh an opportunity to respond, you know. You do know that. Every other time, he stopped, but he just walked out. Um, So I have a tendency to believe he was really pretty angry when he did this and gave these words and said this message from God, and he was already already determined that there's not going to be any kind of response. And maybe that's because God said in verse 1, what? I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. Anyway, verse 7, And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting? The one time he left, they brought him back. And he still didn't get what he was looking for, but that's kind of an interesting thing. All right, How, uh, so here we go. Go back verse 8 again. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, and our, with our flocks and with our herds we, will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Let's pray together. Father, please, I ask you to stir us once again. Help us to consider the, the lessons to be learned. There are so many, and so many practical things for life. Help us to see from your word, things that we need to see. And uh, may this be, again, a time of decision, a time of change, and a time of encouragement, as is uh, appropriate. And we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us to understand better your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we get to the next plague, and uh, it starts by God saying, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the first truth that I want you to glean from verse 1 Is something that, again, we we looked at. In fact, we ended last week's message with a truth about the hardened heart. Did we not? And we kind of actually mentioned chapter 10 and verse 1 because we talked about the danger of a hardened heart. And that truth was brought out, and it's brought out here in the start of this chapter. And here's the reason why there's such a danger. When you harden your heart over and over, there does come a time when God will say, Enough! Enough! So I put it this way, and uh, it also is kind of another point that we brought out. We talked about God's mercy and grace, haven't we? So let's just put it this way. There is an end to mercy. It doesn't mean God stops being merciful. His His mercy endureth forever. We understand that. God is an ever-merciful God. But there are times when God's mercy ends, when God says enough is enough. When someone says, I'd rather die than, as Lucy did, you know. Well, you can fill in the blank if you're willing to say that and you keep harboring that sin and holding on to it. No one knows for sure when it will be. No one knows how long it will be. No one knows how many times it needs to be said. But there will come a time when God may say, when you say, I'd rather die than, God says, okay. When I come to chapter 10 and I read verse 1, Um, uh, every heart should be fearful of coming to the place where God says, you know what? If you're going to keep on in your way, I'm going to let you keep on in your way and you're going to face the consequences. There is an end to mercy. You say, well, well, Pastor, this is a lost man. It was Pharaoh. It was God working in a specific situation. I would agree with you but the rest of Scripture tells us, uh, gives us a different story. Proverbs 29.1, do you know it? He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Isn't that teaching, that God will do the very same thing with people, that there is an end to mercy? There comes a time when God says enough is enough. Yeah, when we spoke of Lucy, or even of Pharaoh hardening his heart, it's important to state that Christians can be involved in this very thing. In fact, uh, if you were to take time to read Revelation two and three, you kind of find the churches in some cases, some of them, not all of them, but some of them, in a place where God said, "Look, enough is enough. Deal with your sin. Change your ways. There's an end to mercy." In fact, listen to Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Now, we know that. In fact, a lot of times we quote that first part. But do you know what it says after that? Listen to these words in Revelation 2.5. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know what God was saying? There's going to come a time where mercy is no longer extended. If you won't deal with this, if you won't change your ways, if you won't do do something about your sin, then look, I'll take care of it. And that's what he did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And I, you know, I, I just, I hate how the Calvinists twist this passage because it's not about Calvinism. This is about a man who has repeatedly said to God, no, I won't listen to you. And God just said, okay, you're going to be that way? Then I'll aid you. There's an end to God's mercy in his dealing with people. By the way, just as a sideline, those who espouse the tenets of Calvinism, paint a portrait, I think, of God that is, is horrible. It's a vengeful God manipulating people like puppets on a string for his pleasure. It's almost as if God gets perverse pleasure in punishing a human being by holding them over a raging fire that they have no control over and letting them squirm like a worm on a hook. And that picture isn't consistent with the Bible. In God's word, God tells us this in Lamentations 3, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies for he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approveth not. Listen, God is not one who dangles someone over the, the pit of hell and laughs because they can't do anything about it. No, no, God gives man ample opportunity to make his decisions, choices, But there does come a time, and there very well may come a time, when God says enough is enough, this is the end of mercy for you. And that's where Pharaoh was. And I think that is probably the reason why Moses just walked out after he got done. Because he knew, in a sense, that God was working against Pharaoh from this point on. Because Pharaoh had made his choice over and over to do his own thing. So you know what the most important lesson is? Look, change your ways. And when God works in your heart, respond to it. Because we just never know the time when God will say enough is enough. And um, remember, if revelation is true, Christians can get this way. And God, um, God warns us and scriptures are a lesson to us. All right, so God, um, there is an end to Mercy. In verses 1 and 2, though, as we continue on, we find uh, something else. And we brought this point out before, I know. We talked about God being a God of judgment. Do you remember that? Say, yeah, about six weeks ago or whatever. Okay, but God has, let's put it this way, a purpose in judgment. God has a purpose in judgment. And I like to kind of look at it from a little different angle. It's another point that we addressed, but there's some things worth thinking of in addition. Notice what he says at the end of verse uh, at the end of verse one. He said, "I've hardened his heart, right? And I've hardened the heart of his servants." There's a reason why God did it. Did God do it because He was dangling Pharaoh over over the fire of judgment and making him pay? No, that wasn't the picture at all. He said that I might show these my signs before him. You know, the word sign means a signal. In the definition, it had a flag. a a beacon a monument and that is how this word is used throughout scripture so look every one of the plagues was just it was a monument it's like a stark reminder it was a flag waving that said okay pharaoh respond i, I love that because it gives a different picture than as as we brought up before than the calvinists gives of god god was doing things first of all as signs to sinners that's what we learn in this passage. God was doing this as a sign. You say, "Well, what were kind of the, what was the flag waving that God was trying to get across?" Well, let's start with "I'm God." I mean, certainly that was one thing that Pharaoh needed to learn. I think there might be something else that was on the flag that was waving that God sent with each one of the plagues. Listen to me. Don't you think? I mean, it had to be one. Okay. Uh, maybe the third, you can't get away with this. I, I don't know what we could say would be the flags. We could probably come up with a long list. Do you know, historians tell us each plague was, that was done was dealing with some God in Egypt that they worshiped. I think we brought that out before. Um, you know, it may have been that God bringing each one of the plagues was a monument to say, I'm God, there is no other God. And I'm going to prove it by dealing with and giving you these and controlling this, what you worship, I'm going to use against you. Um, and so uh, let's understand God's purpose in judgment was to be a sign to sinners. And the signs could be many, but ultimately I think it's this listen to God. There is a God, listen to Him, respond to Him. Um, and I'm uh, thankful for that, that God gives those signs. To sinners, but God also. Notice if you would in verse two. There's another reason why God was doing these things. Look at it. You you tell me. Actually, you might find two things, or you might say two things. That's fine. Okay, as a testimony to children, all right? That would be one thing. For them to know that He was the Lord. So it wasn't only as a sign to sinners, but it was to teach saints. What was God teaching his people? I'm God. I am the eternal, everlasting God of heaven and earth. And I am the Lord, is Jehovah, the self-existent one. Um, You say, well, phew. Israel didn't need to know that. They didn't. You know, sometimes we need to be reminded of that. God's God. And and this judgment that was brought upon the Egyptians, each one of the judgments was saying to the children of Israel, God is God. And sometimes we need to remember that. Come on, have, have you ever been in de- deep difficulty and had a, a trial, a trouble? And and you looked maybe at other people, you were in distress, and you looked at other people, and they seemed to be happy and fine, your neighbors who are godless and everything else. And, and I know you won't say it out loud, but inside you're saying, it's just isn't fair, why am I suffering, and why are these people doing fine? If you haven't said that, good for you. But the truth of the matter is a lot of Christians do say that, And if you don't believe that to be the case, all you got to do is take a few moments and look at Psalm 73 and you'll find someone who was a man after God's own heart who wrote about the fact that he was upset when he saw the wicked prospering and he saw the Christians and those and, and godly people suffering. And so the truth of the matter is sometimes we just have to be reminded that he's God. And each one of these plagues said to Christians, I'm God, I'm the supreme God of heaven and earth. I am the eternal self-existent one, trust me. And boy, did Israel need that message when they got into the wilderness a, short, a few days later. Adam Clark summed up both aspects of judgment. I thought he did it well. He said this, that the miracles wrought at this time might be a record for the instruction of the latest posterity, That Jehovah alone, the God of the Hebrews, was the sole maker, governor, and supporter of the heavens and the earth. Thus we find God so did his marvelous works that they might be had in everlasting remembrance. It was not to crush the poor worm Pharaoh that he wrought such mighty wonders, but to convince his enemies to the end of the world that no cunning or power can prevail against him and to show his followers that whosoever trusted in him shall never be confounded. And my, uh, that's an important message. May we see the struggles and devastating events of life as flags or monuments that God has used, setting up to tell a lost world there is a God in heaven, to tell Christians there is a God in heaven. And may we be encouraged by that truth. Third truth is found in verse 3, where Moses and Aaron come unto Pharaoh. And here's another one we made reference to. And Pharaoh said, uh, came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself? Let me just share with you a, a truth. And, and boy, have we sounded like we've been harping on this one a lot. The greatest detriment to walking with God is pride. The greatest detriment to walking with God is pride. We said that pride is the downfall of many mighty men. A truth has been stated, but consider it again. Um, I got to tell you, God's really been driving this this one home, and it's obvious that, that I need it, and maybe God's people here just need to be reminded of it. Pharaoh's problem was pride. He wouldn't humble himself and bow before God. As has been stated, proud people either ignore or refuse to do what God has said. And that point is made in this passage. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? Pharaoh, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself? Um, God said he, he would bring about, uh, if you would, well, not blessing, but God wouldn't bring the judgments had Pharaoh been willing to humble himself. Can you notice something else found in um, in verse 7, if you would? And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let these men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. And then they ask a question. This is an interesting one. And, and it's been kind of intriguing to my mind, been on my mind a lot. Knowest thou not that Egypt is destroyed? Didn't Pharaoh know that? Was this guy so oblivious to the world around him that he didn't know what was going on? Hey, look, he called Moses in. He knew the frogs were everywhere. Come on, he had to know. He had to know that there wasn't there weren't many trees. I mean, if he walked outside, he would find that there, there weren't many trees with a lot of leaves. And when God said he was gonna bring in some locusts and they were gonna get rid of the rest of it, he would certainly know it was gonna go, right? I mean, come on, seriously. So then um, he had to know of the devastation, but he still wouldn't do anything about it. And he knew all these things had already come to pass. One thing after another, when Moses said it would happen, it happened. So think about this. It took some real gall, didn't it? For Pharaoh to say, nope, not going to let the people go. And here's the truth. Proud people aren't concerned about how their decisions impact others. You know, Proud people don't think about the fact that when they make their choices, their choices are going to have an impact upon other people. Just think about the thousands of people that that suffered in that day because Pharaoh refused to let the people go. Think about it. Thousands of people under his care who suffered. And let's know this. Now, Pharaoh in the army was drowned, okay? But the people suffered for months, if not maybe even years to come after. And he didn't care. And that's what pride does to you. Pride blinds you to the fact that your decisions are affecting others. And it leads you to come to a place where, you know what, I don't really care. Uh, many of you know about the. I, I didn't know if I'd bring this up, but I'm going to the baby formula crisis. You, you know what's going on, right? You you realize this? Everyone around here knows knows about that. Just about everyone in this room knows about that. But just this past week, we were told the president wasn't aware of the problem being that bad. Yes. now now there, there's a couple things that come to my mind. All right, think about that. That's an embarrassment. For anyone to even admit that in the White House is an embarrassment, because he should have known, and and he should have been made aware of it. All right, all right. But perhaps the real issue is, and I hate to say this, they really didn't care. Uh, for people all the time, sen- senators. I'm I'm not just talking about the president. I'm not just talking about the Democrats. I'm talking about the Republicans too, in many cases. A lot of people will tell you that they care, but they don't really care. And quite honestly, all they're concerned about is their position, and they're proud. Do you really think that the president of Russia, Mr. Putin, really cares about his people? Because if he did, he wouldn't have put their lives on the line to go into the Ukraine. But quite frankly... A lot of times, leaders are proud. Now, can you say definitively that our president was just proud and that's why he didn't know about and didn't care about the baby formula situation? We can't really say that, but I will say this. The track record of leaders indicates that the only time that they're concerned about matters is when it means votes or when it will make them look bad. And, uh, And that is pride. But before we point the finger at them, let's realize that, quite honestly, Christians can make, many times, the same decisions in life, proud decisions, not weighing the fact that our decisions are hurting others. I'm going to go on, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to go my own way. Well, so it's going to hurt my mate. So it's going to hurt my kids. Oh, we wouldn't say that ever. But the proud person really doesn't care. And there are some very powerful lessons. And here in this passage, these two verses just bring out the, the reality that pride is just, it's just a horrible sin. And it's a great detriment to walking with God. And may we learn from that and be challenged about it. The, and, we, and let's stay in verse 3. And let me give you one other point under that. And it's this, servants of God must often confront sin no matter how hard it may be. Servants of God must often confront sin no matter how hard it may be. What happened to the protesters in Tiananmen Square when they rebelled against the government? What happened, by the way, uh, to some in Russia, they heard about this not too long ago, uh, who spoke out about the atrocities being done in the Ukraine. Uh, I can tell you it wasn't good. Sometimes it's easy to miss what's right before us. The task that God gave Moses and Aaron was not easy. You realize that if you wanted to, they always used to call America a superpower. I don't know if they they would even use that term anymore. America was a superpower. If we wanted to describe Egypt in this day, Egypt was a superpower. Okay, this guy could do what he wanted. He could have Moses killed like that, just his word. And Moses stands before him and said, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? That is not a line that's popular with leaders. Now, again, like I said this morning, sometimes we read passages and we don't really think through what's going on. And think through, if you would, the cost. Moses, in a sense, was putting his life on the line here when he makes this statement. And you can say as much as you want about the whole scenario and how, you know, well, all right, I know, God would take care of it. That's right but he had been given a responsibility by God to do a task that was very, extremely difficult and really was a threat to his life. To stand before this most, one of the most powerful men in the world and say, you are proud. And how long are you going to continue to be that way? Um, do you realize God has called believers to stand up for that which is right to call sin what it is we are we are in a a day today when no one wants to offend others and as a result people aren't speaking the truth they're not telling people what they need to know people aren't being confronted anymore so that uh, there, there can be people living in gross sin in, in a church, maybe even a church like this, and people just act like everything's fine. You know, God has called upon believers in many places in the scripture to do, in a sense, what Moses had to do here, and that is to confront sin. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Galatians chapter 6 teaches that truth in verse 1. We're to mark them which cause divisions and strifes contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and uh, we and avoid them. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that church discipline is a practice that is right and godly and that Christians are to be involved in. Look. Confronting sin needs to happen. Now, we don't have time and our purpose tonight and this passage isn't instructing us in all the principles and all the guidelines about about the matter of helping people understand and see their sin. But the Bible is clear and the Bible does teach us that servants of God often have to confront sin no matter how hard it may be. And there are times where you got to just tell people where they're at and they need to know the truth. Now, there's a lot of things, again, to consider about that, and there's a lot of principles in the Bible, and, and so don't just leave this place saying, man, I'm going to help straighten everyone out, all right? Because, uh, because God says, judge not that ye be not. Judge, just understand this. If you're going to be pointing the finger of accusation, <laughs> expect it to be pointed back. And God says this, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. There's a lot of principles to be involved in this task, but do understand this. Moses was willing to do the difficult task of confronting a wrongdoing, even if you would, in putting his life on the line. And May we be willing to do the very same thing. You know, um, as a pastor, uh it doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, a pastor needs to be willing to confront anyone. And if he won't, he's not a good pastor. Uh, and yet, um, in, in some places, pastors have chosen not to rebuke maybe someone that's real important in the church because, well, if they leave, we'll lose a bunch of families. And look, that's not right. Godly Christians do what's right. And they sometimes have to confront sin wherever it's found. Uh, by the way, there are some people, and there are some, we, we've, we've heard about this, there are some churches that look the other way when pastors have done wicked, vile things. And let me tell you something, a pastor isn't, isn't, um, isn't one that uh, can, can sin and, and do whatever he wants to do. He also needs to be held accountable. And there are times where a a man who is supposedly godly godly, but not acting such needs to be confronted. You know what God told the church? Those that sin, and he was talking about elders in the church, pastors. He said, those that sin rebuke before all. There are times where, whether it's godly men in the congregation uh, approaching a pastor who hasn't done right, or a pastor... Approaching someone, no matter how important, where we need to be willing to call sin what it is and help people see the wrong that's going on in their life. And this is happening right before us. And sometimes we just read the story and we don't even think about how momentous this must have been for him to stand before one of the most powerful men in the world and say, you, my friend, are not humbling yourself before God. Number five. And in verse four, um, we're just going to get started in this. Your choices in life have a profound effect upon your experiences in life. Your choices in life have a profound effect upon your experiences in life. Look at verse four again. Else, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow. Well, I bring the locusts into thy coast. Here's the truth. Refuse to listen to God at your own peril. Refuse to listen to God at your own peril. New Testament says this, Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. Can you God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know the verse think about this at any time at least if the Bible is true if any time Pharaoh could have put an end to his own misery and the destruction of his country with one word okay okay one word but he refused to listen to God and listen he had no one to blame but himself Have you ever listen, refused to listen to advice or follow instructions and face the consequences? You know, and, and then you look back and you want to you want to point the finger somewhere else. You know, well, yeah, you're you're to blame. You're to blame. And look, there's there's no nowhere the blame belongs. If you if you made the wrong choice, understand this: you refuse to listen to God at your own peril. It is this the 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 entire this entire passage, all three chapters so far have reminded us that our choices in life have a profound effect. And to me, it's just so intriguing that here is a guy that now, what, five or six times or seven times or eight times? Now I don't even remember what number we're at, okay? But each time he's been given an opportunity. Uh, well, a couple times he wasn't, but most every time he's been given an opportunity and he has a chance and he has seen what has been doing to his country, to his people and everything else, and he had no one to blame. No one to blame. No. Well <laughs> my wife, no he couldn't say that. No Pharaoh, you're responsible. You've made the choice and here's what happened and and you're gonna and, and you're gonna face the music and he did. and God brought judgment on his life and we just need to remember that. And although uh, we keep talking about and and, and people might want to say, well that was a pagan king, but the, the truth is, that the principle of Galatians 6, 7 is true for believers too. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Refuse to listen to God at your own peril. And we're going to pick up next time uh, in verse 4 and continue on as we look at the 10 uh, important truths. And I hope you'll be here next, next time as we continue through this chapter. Father, thank you for your word and the truth.